This is Game Designed Unboxed, inspiration to publication on the No Direction Network. Danielle, Denise, and Ben interview tabletop designers on the games they've made. Together, they unbox how a game went from inspiration to publication. Thank you for joining me, Denise, Danielle, and Ben for Game Design Unboxed, Inspiration to Publication, Episode 10, Arch Rivals. Today, we're joined by Adam McCrimmon, Jordan Miller, and Lauren Nepomuceno from XYZ Game Labs. Welcome, everyone. Uh, we'd like to get started if you can tell our listeners a little about yourselves and how you got into the game design community. And Adam, why don't you get us started? Hi. Uh, well, one, it's great to be here. Uh, I I, I, knew, I know Danielle and Ben from previous things in the board game industry. Denise, it's very nice to meet you. Um, the uh, one thing I would want to mention, because you know we we had this trouble with Mr. Vassal on his uh, review of Arch Ravels, is I was going to say Ravels. <laughs> yeah, is uh, is you know pronunciation of the game, which is no big deal. It, Arch Ravels is. You know, it's supposed to invoke that idea of competition, play on the term arch rivals, and then also, uh, you know, uh, uh, tie into the idea of like kind of unraveling yarn. And then, of course, you know, we it would it would be silly to not mention that one of the largest knitting communities online is Ravelry. So um, that's kind of where the DNA of the the name comes from. Um, I love that. Yeah, it's great great to be here. Thanks for having us. the first question was what again? It was how I got into game design? Yeah. Tell us a little bit about yourself, which I think you, you definitely got started on, and then uh, how you got into the game design. Uh, well, uh, I've played games, you know, like most of us that are in this, you know, was playing for some time. Um, I would say that the, you know, I didn't take it really seriously of any kind when I was a kid, and it wasn't like I was making necessarily designing games as a child. But, you uh, Five years ago or so, I, me and a friend of ours, a friend of mine, were uh, on vacation together, and we were taking a long road trip down the Tennessee. And while we were heading on the road trip, we just got to talking about the idea of making a game of some kind. And the kind of the first um, steps of our first game as a company, Robot Lab, were uh, were born in that car. And uh, you know that that was where the first game came from. And I, I would I'd say the, the genesis of XYZ game labs really comes from the fact that uh, Jordan and I worked together at a consulting firm and he was looking for a side project to work on. Cause he was feeling a little, little burnt out hadn't really expressed his, his creative feelings in a while or, or push in a while. And, uh, and I said, Hey, well, I got this card game that I have designed. I guess we could do something with it. And uh, that was kind of the, the starting point of uh, us as a company and as, you know, designers and publishers. Quite the road trip. <laughs> Wish I was yeah. that productive of mine. Yeah, it was fun. It was fun to uh, to just play with the ideas and the concepts. And the nice thing was I wasn't driving. So my friend that, w- that was driving, you know, he was able to kind of weigh in with some thoughts and opinions as we went along. But I spent a lot of time in that passenger seat kind of sketching out different ideas and things we could do. And, you know, that that process of designing a game, uh, honestly, for me, hasn't changed much since then. You know, it still usually starts with a piece of paper and some doodles and sketches and general ideas of what could be done or, or what this thing could look like. Um, usually starting from the, usually starting from the end point of like, what do I want people to experience when they play this thing? 
Like, what is the feeling I'm going for? That's usually where I'm starting uh, on any design that I'm working on. That's so cool. And what about you, Jordan? How did you get into the game design industry? Or So uh, I've always been a big game player. Uh, way back as a fresh-faced 10-year-old, I picked up my first deck of Magic the Gathering cards. Um, but I got into tabletop games many years ago in, when I was in college, and someone brought me a copy of Settlers of Catan. <clears throat> so since then, I'd always you know, played a lot of games. You know, we went to Gen Con a lot and going to Gen Con, that's actually how I, how I first met Adam uh, through a mutual friend. We took a trip down to Indy. Uh, and then like Adam tells it, I was kind of looking for a side project and uh, I was talking to Adam about it and he said, yeah, I've got this uh, idea for a game. And anytime I had ever previously talked about side projects or things like that, it was always just talk. And then Adam was kind of like, no, 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 we can do this. So we started looking at it, and that was kind of the first step into uh, game design I had. You kind of got pushed, didn't step. Yeah, I would. Yeah, pushed. What about you, Lauren? <laughs> Were you pushed? No, I was dragged. <laughs> uh, <laughs> oh no! Sure. She's going to no, tell the story of how she got involved. <laughs> yeah, then I got roped in. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I met Adam and Jordan at the same uh, tech consulting firm. Uh, it's talking to Jordan, uh, during lunch because I had, you know, we'd always have like our dev, like nerd lunches together. And he was just saying like, yeah, we just like, we kind of need someone like, you know, to do the communications, like our social media and like, you know, some of the writing and maybe like blog posts. And I'm like, yeah, I would love to do that. You know, I did some blog posting, right. Our blog writing back in the day and, and, um, you know, social media, and I also manage some nonprofit social media, uh, well, some social media for some different nonprofits. And, you know, it's funny that they mentioned it because, like, you know, in college, I, I started to get uh, to play board games. But then, like, after college, really, I like had to focus on work. And I was like, you know, this would be a really great outlet to just, like, you know get my creative juices going and to get into games again, because it was, it's been a while since I had done that. So um, yeah, I definitely jumped in, jumped into the opportunity and now we're here. <laughs> I would say that Lauren didn't, Lauren didn't just jump in, Lauren leaped in, right? Like we, we, at the time <laughs> XYZ was very, very early in its existence. And Jordan and I had been, you know, somewhat trying to kind of tag team this idea of social media and you know uh producing content and putting it out there and we um you know my, my background before all of this was in marketing and advertising so i felt like i had a really good handle on like what could be done and maybe even what we should do but there was there's too much stuff to do to also be doing that thing so it was trying I, I was trying to find someone that would replace part of me as the part of the group and lauren you know she didn't just jump in she came on board maybe a month or two before Gen Con and that year at Gen Con was kind of going to be our first time as a company attending the convention. So we, we always joked that she was like jumping in to do this role right before like the Super Bowl of what we needed to do. (laughs) Oh my God. Yeah. Talk about, talk about, you know, trial about fire. But, uh, and, and, you know, and, and she was great. She didn't even, she didn't go to Gen Con with us that first year. Um, but 
she was back, you know, back home and she was, you know, honest to send us to send pictures and give stories and do stuff so that we, we could have a presence. And, you know, that was, you know, like four years ago now. And now we're to the point where, you know, Lauren runs communications for all, pretty much all of XYZ. Um, she's handling, you know, all of the communications, whether it's going to be uh, interfacing with press or talking to, you know, a, a booking us on this podcast for instance right like that's it's all the stuff that that we need in order to keep it moving and keep us producing content and, and lauren covers off on all of it for us and it's great and then just for everybody who doesn't know xyz what is jordan in your role in the company <clears throat> so uh i handled mostly booking uh conventions and organizing and getting uh the booth set up um, I also do a lot of the game design and development and um, running kind of the playtesting effort. So getting playtesters, sending out copies and that kind of stuff. Yeah. And, um, uh, my role is called CEO. What that think that really means is like, I'm generally responsible for where are we going? Like, what are we, what are we doing next and why are we doing it? And what is the, what are the business reasons why? And are we, are we doing the, the right thing to kind of move forward with what our future aspirations as a company are. Um, and then on a more tactical day-to-day standpoint, you know, for many of our games, I've been very hands-on with the graphic design. Um, I'm, I lead product design. So, you know, whatever, whatever game we have coming out, usually the, the kind of overall package of what are you getting between box and art and experience and components and really what does that product look like and how do you value that product is something that I'm responsible for and, um, uh, and, and push forward. And then, um, you know, I, Lauren and I interface on marketing on a regular basis because, you know, I I have a lot of experience there uh, and, you know, she's in charge of that effort. Um, you know, we're, we're not a huge company, um, but we do uh, we do a lot of stuff. So I would say that, you know, even even just saying that Lauren and Jordan only do, you know, the respective things we've talked about here, like they we all do beyond that. Right. It's a startup. So everybody does their they all wear their hat. That is their sole responsibility um, or their main responsibility. And then everybody is like backups and seconds for everybody else and other stuff. Yeah, we wear lots of different hats at this company. <laughs> And it's, and it's a team effort, right? Like we're all in it for all of us. You know, we've, we're all lined on the same goal of where kind of where we want this to go and what we want the company to be and what we want to make and do. So there's a lot, you know, there's, I feel really fortunate to work with, uh, you know, a, a group of people who are, you know, we're all on the same page of where we're going, why we're doing this, what we want the company to be, what we want to stand for and what we want to make. Aw, Thanks. Oh, you're welcome i love you guys <laughs> and so on that note yeah perfect perfect you know the first thing that you guys came up with was robots and now this big kickstarter is arch ravels what kind of inspires you to design uh you know these sort of maybe lighthearted themes adam you mentioned uh experience is kind of what you're after and and now moving forward and looking ahead to the sort of next direction chapter for xyz uh what can you tell us a little bit about why you want to appeal to that audience yeah the um you know when we first started it was a matter of like kind of where you're getting traction like where are you where do you seem to get some wins where do things end up being a little bit easier than they are in other directions because you know robot lab was the the 
one of the first game is the first game we made and it's you know kind of we kind of talk about it was like the first game that we designed but this is the kind of first game we designed for xyz before that there have been plenty of fits and starts with other ideas that just didn't go anywhere um so got traction there and then one thing that i like to do in general when it comes to any excuse me any design i'm working on is um a game wants to be something and i'm sure all of us all of us have designed or participated in the design process in some aspect and you know when it's it's moving right and it's going and it's flowing and you're 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 producing something that you think like, oh, this 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 experience is good, or this mechanic is good, or this this uh, this way of doing this feels right for the thing. And I like to follow those feelings, um, you know, the whole time, and and usually aim them at I'm thinking of a certain person in their mindset. And the the thing, you know, when we first started, there wasn't this idea of like who we're necessarily making the games for as much as what is the experience that we're creating and is it fun for someone? And that over the course of, like say, like maybe the first year of us kind of while working together, we realized like there's really this kind of core to what we're doing, which is about what we call invent new gamers, which is this idea that we want to make a, we want, we want to make titles that are not going to be boring for those people who play a lot of games. Like they have enough choice and they're interesting enough and they have enough, you know, strange edges and corners that they, that somebody who plays games regularly is going to be like, Oh yeah, this was fun. Interesting experience. I had interesting decisions to make, but that for somebody who's not played a game before, or maybe only played a few games, or maybe is used to playing kind of the classic family favorites that when they sit down to play this, there's enough familiarity with kind of what they're doing or the things they're doing are, are simple enough in the way that we present them that they can understand and grok how to actually engage with this experience and they will get enjoyment out of it even if they don't see kind of the deeper levels of the game design and what i mean by the deeper levels uh it's really that old mark rosewater idea of lenticular game design where you can have a single thing that is that somebody who has a lot of experience sees the depth in the strategy of that interaction but somebody who is brand new to gaming just sees the kind of immediate reward it gives you or sees how it immediately plays in the board. An example of that in, say, Arch Ravels is like the, the special requests that come up as you play through the yarn deck. You know, they're, they're presented very simply. Here's an item. It has, it, it's a special thing that is different than the rest. You, if you get it, you have to make it before the end of the game. Otherwise, you'll lose the points. But if you make it, you get the points, right? That's all very simple decision. The, the wrinkle there comes, do you keep it or do you give it to somebody else? And that requires some real thought about how much the game is left. How much yarn do I have? What do the other players have going on? Are they trying to finish another project? So just that one little choice opens up this variety of ways that it could go that some more experienced players are going to see the real good strategic move that helps them win the game in that choice. And other players who are newer are going to look at it more as a just kind of, may look at it as more, more black or white. Oh, do I want to make a Gryffindor scarf or do I want to make somebody else make it? So what made this theme what you wanted to pursue in that design? Oh, so the first convention that XYZ ever exhibited at was something called ValorCon in Chicago, Illinois. It's a small convention done in like an old Montgomery Wards or something, Jordan, was it? 
is a uh, Marshall Fields. Oh, Marshall, Marshall Fields. Fields. Marshall Fields building. On like two floors of the building they didn't use anymore, this this group threw a convention there. And um, we had nothing. Like we, we, the, <laughs> this convention, it was so low key for us because it was our first time ever. We had like one little banner that was a foot tall and three feet long that said the words Robot Lab. <laughs> we had stuff that I had printed on my home printer and mounted on foam core back from my old art school days uh, up on the table. And then print and plays that we had printed out ourselves and cut out with scissors and sleeved on cards. <laughs> it was the first time we got onto something, right? So we we didn't really know exactly what we were doing. We just knew we had to have stuff and we had to be able to show people the game. And we wanted to collect emails for our Kickstarter campaign. Um, while we were there, we were demoing the I was demoing the robot lab to, to some young woman that I, I don't remember her name. Uh, but she mentioned, hey, this is really fun. I, I like this. You know, I always thought about making a, a, a card game about yarn because I have a lot of yarn. I'm a knitter and I have a lot of yarn. And I never know what to do with it all. So I just thought it'd be fun to have a game where you have to manage all that yarn. And there was something about that kind of nugget that stuck in my head for a long time. And then when we were looking for like, well, what's the next project we're going to work on? One of the ideas that came up was like, you know, someone mentioned an idea of making a game around knitting. And um and jordan actually you just you just found some uh, some notes you had from that day like a week ago or so yeah back in july of 2017 was when we came back to it yeah yeah and, and we i were... also found some old notes from a cabin trip that you and i took together like the following june yeah that was the one where we uh we uh, initially tuned all of the event cards mm -hmm, mm -hmm. for uh for what would become our travels yep um, so, the, you know, that there was that initial, like, kind of seed of somebody saying, yeah, make a game about yarn. And uh, that just kind of grew into more and more of an idea. And then the first time we kind of, you know, we came up with a general mechanism what this was, because up until about a, up until maybe six months before the Kickstarter, this game was a cards only game, um, or mostly cards only game. And, um, we had come up with kind of a, a working framework of what is the gameplay and how does it work and played it a couple times and all thought, Oh yeah, this is really fun. And if, you know, we do it, we do it with the right art and the right feel. This could, this could really, this could be a really fun game to have. And, um, the, uh, where was I going with that? Oh, it was a cards only game. And then there was, uh, sometime the year before or the year we launched on Kickstarter sometime earlier in that year, I remember I called up Jordan and I was like, Hey, I think we should take out all of, I think we need to change all the yarn cards from cards to, uh, actual like little colored chits. For, for context, I had just shut the hood on all the play testing. It was ready to ship. <laughs> oh no. Oh, you must have hated him. Oh man. <laughs> yeah. He was not happy about that. Um, but also, you know, like any good, creative partner he was like all right well let's at least let's at least try it and see if how it is and the very next thing we brought that to was i think a protospiel indie and it went over great people loved the feeling of the game like we weren't getting substantive feedback that was different than we were getting before except everyone seemed happier when they were playing it yep and that's when we knew like okay all right we got to shift this and then um, and then the fact that, you know, there's 
there's really vibrant characters in our travels, right? There's there's four different types of crafters, and there's there's two different characters for each crafter type. And honestly, a lot of that came from Lauren's insistence. We've been playing this game for yes. a while, and we had started <laughs> to come up with like this idea that we're going to have certain characters are going to have asymmetric powers, and we were testing them there at Protospiel Indie for the first time. And she was like, yeah, you need to make these characters. I'll stop talking so she can. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, I was very persistent persistent about it because my best friend is a professional knitter. Wow, that's (laughs) awesome. She got her master's in fiber arts. So like she really knits, she looms, she dyes yarn. She does, well, the only thing she doesn't do is uh, she could spin yarn. The only thing she doesn't do is crochet, which is really funny. Um, but yeah, like, and she would tell me all these funny stories in grad school about like this boy that she had a crush on who was really like gorgeous, who happens to be really great at spinning yarn. And so <laughs> that led to the creation of Ted, who is a particularly attractive looking, um, you know, yarn uh, spinner. And so, um, you know, that led to the inspiration of him. And then, you know, because she also dyes yarn. So that's like really fun where you're playing a bit with like the patterns and like the way that you could achieve meeting certain pattern criteria, you know, plays a bit with like your ability there to like meet that a little bit easier. And then, um, then I also did a lot of market research just in general with the fiber arts community and, there is a young, talented uh, boy who is a crocheter out in Wisconsin, and he's considered like a uh, like a prodigy at crocheting. Like he is like so talented, and he wow. could just whip, whip up blankets in like a day, you know. And then for some people, that takes like years or like months, and he just like can whip it up. And so he was also you know, the, the inspiration for the character type, uh, the master crafter and in our travels, uh, the master crafter is able to craft, uh, you know, four items, um, versus the other players can only craft three. So that a little bit of these, you know, little Easter eggs in the like research that I did for the fiber arts community led to, all right, like, this person is inspiring this, this person is inspiring that. Um, Niha, who is our uh, color specialist or the person who could dye the yarn. Um, I was inspired, I was inspired by a story um, my best friend Nicole told me where she said that, you know, cause I told her that, you know, we want to create diverse our, uh, characters as well. Um, you know, uh, we want to make sure that our games are, representing you know our colorful and diverse and different world that everybody uh, everybody plays everybody, games. everybody, games should, everybody so plays everybody a game love that game. everyone's represented in it it is yeah amazing. Every, not only does everyone plays games but like everyone also participates in fiber arts and one thing i found out was that there are you know there's a lack of not as bad of like I, I don't know. I guess there's there's also an issue with representation in fiber arts. So it became really important to include Niha because, you know, she is Indian and there is a rich and deep history of, of ink dyeing in India and spices. And so it was very important to include her there, not only for the gaming community and that everyone plays games, but for the fiber arts community. So 
yeah, lots of really great ideas came about just speaking to, you know, to crafters and to fiber artists and to other knitters and crocheters out there to really, you know, beef up the, the, um, you know, the representation and the characters in this game. Yeah. One of the, one of the things we focused on a lot when we were developing and designing our travels, you know, from, from every aspect, gameplay through product design was making sure that we felt like we were being true to the, the, the culture and the groups and the, um, the, the people who are being represented in the, the kind of the industry and the hobby that's being presented or, or lifestyle really. Um, mm-hmm. and, and because of that, you know, like we, <clears throat> we had crafting consultants, we had a, a group of four or five people who were crafters who we were regularly consulting on, like what terms we're using for certain things in the game, what certain places places and pieces look like if the patterns are making sense and if the difficulty levels of those things seem to line up um you know had had lots of play tests with those individuals who were not gamers and i think that kind of uh that kind of play testing aside from the play testing i was doing with kind of more of more traditional board game groups I think that really helped kind of narrow this into being this, you know, what seems to be kind of a perfect gateway game for somebody who is uh, is in that crossover audience. Absolutely, and I I think they they really offered some really great feedback too. Like, you know, it, it's just nice, to like if, especially if you're a knitter or a crocheter, and then you're just playing this game and you read the rule book and. There's like a reference to Froggit, which is an interesting mechanic that we learned of from a knit, from learn from a knitter. It basically means you unravel something that you've already started uh, knitting or crocheting. The name um, comes from the sound it makes when you rip it apart because it sounds like a ribbit. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So, so yeah, um, you know, it's it's just awesome to include those little like tidbits that are just so special for that you and, you know and they make a it, tailored they make audience. It sh- yeah. yeah, they make it true to the theme, right? And that yeah. was something that I, you know, we all kind of feel really strongly that when we when we develop the kind of the idea of the world that a game takes place in, we're we really push on it then to identify what is the personality of that world, what are what what are people doing in that world? You know, the I, I guess we feel like the world building is is just as important as the gameplay right that theming is just as important to the gameplay to make something that at the end of the day needs to be a product yes it needs to be a good game but it also has to be a product because if people don't buy your games then you can't keep making them you're not wrong that is how that works (laughs) (laughs) i will say uh one of the things that was really i was really drawn to when i backed uh our travels was thank you that story oh yes very very quick to say yes. Um, and a big part of it is that at least for me personally, I come to board games to learn. So I love learning the rules, the new mechanisms, but I also really enjoy the information and worlds that I get introduced to. And this was even now hearing about the fiber arts community and all of the different pieces that I know I will be immersed in um, once it arrives on my doorstep is just really exciting. And it leads to asking new questions and getting um, developing new interests and thinking about, um, you know, pieces of communities and things like that out in the world that I 
haven't had a chance to experience yet, but would love to learn more about. It piques that curiosity um, and I think opens doors uh, that can be really um, uh, powerful, meaningful, um, and memorable experience. So it's really great to hear how much has gone into um, creating that for uh, players. Uh, I will ask, so we've talked a little bit about play testing and you've shared some of the thinking behind sort of different choices in playing our travels, but I'd love to hear for anyone who hasn't played yet. Could you share a little bit around how you play our travels? Ooh, I've <laughs> never been asked this question. This is fun. How does um, that happen? How do you not get asked how to play the game that you're no, selling? So he, oh, I, I, well, sorry. I took that question as like, how do you play? As in, how do we, as the people who designed the game, how do we play it? I'm, you oh, probably mean like just how do you play the, you, you mean yeah, You mean just overall how just the how to play it. Tutorial. You got excited. <laughs> you asked him a strategy question. <laughs> yeah, uh, I'm sure answer that afterwards. But maybe how to play the game is the beginning a little bit uh, of an overview yeah no a bit of an overview that's great i'm sorry i got really excited for something else uh so <laughs> how do you how do you play our travels um so in our travels you t- you're a, you're a crafter um there are four different types of crafters in the game you've got your thrifty shopper who is able to shop for more yarn on the turns they can do so you've got your master crafter who's able to make more things in a turn than anybody else You have a color specialist that has the ability to ignore color rules when making an item. And then you've got a yarn spinner, and they they essentially get to make exactly the yarn they need. Um, So the first thing in the game is, of course, to pick kind of which player you're, which kind of character you're going to be. And for each one of those, you know, if this was a video, I'd hold up the board and I'd show both sides and show you the different characters. But I'll just say that there there are four types of characters that I just described, each one of those has two different choices for the persona that you play, the person you play. Um, so, to, you know, give you a sense of that, you know, on one side of the board uh, for the thrifty shopper, you've got Rebecca, um, which is, you know, a middle-aged white woman who is shopping for yarn. And then on the back side, you got Theo, and that's a middle-aged, uh, finely, dre- f- uh, finely dressed black man uh, also shopping for yarn because they're both the thrifty shoppers their actions are going to be exactly the same there's one mechanical difference between them in that each one is going to have a favorite special request and a special request is a special item that comes up in the game that um you'll have some choices to make about when they come up um so each each character's got kind of their favorite special request and that can give you a little bit more flavor to the character you're playing on whether or not you want to play on who you want to play exactly uh, but once you've selected your player, um, the game area setup is it's pretty pretty straightforward. You've got a grid of six cards that is your that is the yarn bazaar. So this is the how you're going to shop for cards, and then a deck of cards next to that that is going to replace those as they get removed. In that deck of cards, you've got yarn cards which are going to be worth one, two, or three yarn depending on the card. Um, some of them are going to be for single colors. Some of them are going to be for multiple colors together. So the color of yarn you have in this game is going to matter a lot. And then in the deck itself, you've got also got some event cards, which are going to do things like let everybody at the table craft one item at that moment, or give everyone some free yarn, or um, 
our probably our favorite one in there, Tangled Cat, which is when it comes up, you choose a player to give it to, and that player can't craft on their next turn. And uh, the game comes with a fun little cat meeple that you put in their yarn bowl, because the, that's the thing I haven't mentioned yet. Each player aside from a character board, it's going to get a, a phys- it has a physical yarn bowl. It's a little plastic bowl that's made to look just like a real yarn bowl. And you're going to get colors of yarn. And there are six different colors of the game. You got your, your red, orange, yellow, uh, green, blue, and purple. And each person's going to start off with one color of the yarn. For those players who are colorblind or, you know, um, have a color, uh, you know, vision disability regarding color, there is uh, each of the six different um, yarn ball tokens which are little wood tokens they have different shapes cut into them so you know there's there's three different shapes there's a shape with three lobes a shape with four and a shape with five lobes um all you know little circles with little lobes so they kind of look like little yarn balls and um we've paired those up to the highest contrast colors each so you know if you if you're red green colorblind you're going to be able to tell the red pieces from the green pieces and we've we've tested that and that, that comes back from you know we did that because back in the days of robot lab one of the first people we played this the game with because uh, that game also cares about what color things are um was like i'm colorblind and i can't play your game <laughs> that was his immediate response to the first time we play test and we're like oh yes that is a thing we have to make sure we do going forward for all of our games because some people are colorblind and we don't think about that if we're not colorblind yeah that's amazing um so you've got this uh, this bazaar of cards in front of you, and the way the game works is you'll choose a number of cards from that grid um, and take yarn tokens matching the sum of those cards. So, for and, instance... And that's the shop action. That's the shop action. So, you know, if you are playing the Thrifty Shopper, you get to do that more often than anybody else, which means you're going to get more of the main resource you need in the game. Um. If you're playing like the yarn spinner, for instance, then you, uh, you know, on, on one of your turns, you have the ability to just take three yarn of whatever color it is that you need. So you have the ability to kind of color uh, shift and um, what did we call that in development, Jordan? Color fixing? Color fixing. Yeah, you, you, can, you can do a little color fixing with what you need, and um, but you don't get, you know, you don't get as much yarn as maybe another player does on the same turn. Um, so that board is going to be, that's going to be the main board that you kind of take that, you know, you select the things you get from. And then as you go through that deck of cards, cause every turn you're going to, you take some up and new ones are going to get replaced. Um, you're going to run into those event cards that will trigger when they come up on the board. You may also come across a special request card. So, uh, in, in the, um, final version of the game, we ended up with 26 possible special requests. So these are, you know, they're themed as their their requests from friends and fans to make them a unique one of a kind item. So if you know any knitters or crocheters, ask them. Do people ask you to make things? Oh yeah, go, yeah. People ask me to make stuff all the time. <laughs> right now, everyone's being bombarded to make those Bernie mittens. <laughs> uh, there you <yeah>. go. <laughs> yeah. Perfect Which did example. not make it to the game, but you know that's a that perfect, so good. relevant Promo example. Card? <laughs> yeah, that is a FOMO card. We should. I wish we could put that in our game. Yeah. Um. So and in the game and so the the Kickstarter campaign actually one of the things that I'm so thankful for about the Kickstarter is the fact that we were able to we originally we had designed ten special requests to put in the game and um we we wanted we were thinking about putting more in there and 
through the Kickstarter, there was we had some stretch goals that got us these different packs of extra special requests. So, you know, in the kind of in the base game, so a special request might be to make a unicorn or to make um, some wrist warmers or um, you know a, a cowl, a special cowl of some kind. Um, one of our favorites is uh, Snugglesaurus, which is a brontosaurus wearing a giant sweater. I don't know if anyone saw that art. I definitely have with the like little rainbow sweater. He's super cute. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, so Snugglesaurus, or as we like to call him around the office, Snuggy, was one of our original special requests. And through the Kickstarter, we ended up doing uh, four packs of uh, other uh, pop culture inspired items. So we had a sweater pack. And in that one, you got um, a, essentially you got a Mr. Rogers sweater. You get a card called Undone that has a blue sweater that has a uh, cord being pulled off of it. If anyone's a fan of 90s band Weezer, I guess they're still relevant now, aren't they? Maybe. Africa cover. I'm like, I don't know. Am I old for liking Weezer? <laughs> So, uh, so we've got that one. We've got a Freddy Krueger sweater in there. Um, obviously, the names are shifted because you know they have to be. These are homages to these wonderful things that are in pop culture. Freddy Krueger, naturally. Yeah, Freddy Krueger, yes. of course. <laughs> <laughs> um, um, what's the what's the fourth sweater? I'm not remembering. Please tell it, me you had like a crazy cat lady sweater because I feel like that's such a thing that should be do it's like the, done. The the spacesuit, Ziggy spacesuit. Oh yeah. Oh, yeah. It's David yeah. Bowie's crocheted uh, spacesuit outfit thing he wore, which yeah. is crazy looking all on its own. So why was Kickstarter the right platform to get our travels out there? Uh, well, because this – honestly, because it's a risk making a game about knitting and crocheting. Traditionally for board games, right, like there's a, there's certain things that sell and there are certain things that are, you know, always looked at as like the main thing to have in the market. You know, how many zombie games do we have? How many Cthulhu games do we have? How many games oh do God. we have set in I'm high so fantasy? How many games do we have set in, in some kind of war or conflict or battle? Or train. Or trains. <laughs> so many trains. <laughs> so many trains. And there's nothing wrong with any, like there's nothing wrong with those games, right? They're great. Um, making a board game about um, about knitting and crocheting is a, is a very different thing, and we we made it for a very specific audience. And you know, the great thing about something like Kickstarter it gives us an opportunity to one have a huge marketing event around the game that also helps fund the existence of the game, right? Like we, you know, the. In, by the time this podcast, you know, when we're recording it, our travels has not yet shipped to the backers, but everything is staged and we're on the, we're about to do so. By the time this airs, you should have this in your hands and be enjoying the, already have been, been enjoying the game. Um, you know, we couldn't have done that without the help of all those backers. We couldn't have done that without the help of all those people who were like, yeah, you know what? This looks like an awesome experience and I want to have it. So, you know, it's it enables you to do these things that you just couldn't otherwise. Yeah. I'm glad to see that so many people did take to this very obscure theme in such a positive way. Yeah. And it's funny. Cause I it, like for, for me now it, it's not obscure, but it's cause I've been like just buried in it. And this is the, like, this, this is one of the, 
this has been our biggest project for the past year, right? So for me, it's uh, it's weird to think of it that way. But you're right. Like it, you know, we we there's we had plenty of naysayers when the campaign launched that this was like you're making a game about knitting, and we had plenty of people that we had talked to um, early in the process and showed them the theme and kind of protospiels and and yes. got the same kind of feedback of like yes. you're making a game about knitting. Why 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 that? I I play tested this game with a lot of people <clears throat> and demoed a lot of it. And when I introduced the game, I would say, hey, this is a game about crafting, knitting, and crocheting. The most common response I got from that community was, really? About crafting? I don't know. And then I would sit down and play it, and they would play through it, and they'd be like, oh, I get it. Yeah, this is great. I wasn't sure about this at first, but... <laughs> yeah, I yeah. agree. I think from my experience, I <laughs> my thought is, uh, when I th- saw the theme was, this is awesome. Like I can think of so many people who I'm, you know, thinking about Christmas gifts for next year. Mm -hmm. And this game fits right in there, right in that wheelhouse, particularly as a a gateway game for folks who I think would really love uh, playing board games with a bit more. Right, but you um, can't get them to do it. But you can't get them to do it, right? Because they're like, the themes are dense. Yeah, yeah, they're very dense, or and they're they're fighting, or you know, monsters, or war, yeah. or things that are really obscure, or kind of. I mean, for me, I would say farming is a bit boring. Like, uh, you know, we've been doing that for quite some time, and so I really love the the knitting theme. To your point, I I would say for me too, Danielle, it wasn't it it isn't obscure. I have so many friends who knit, I crochet. Um, it feels like a really huge community that is almost sort of like, oh, wow, like, what? Hey, we're in, ga- we're, we're in board games now. Um, and yeah, it feels Not like- Not only in board games, but in board games with love and commitment yeah. to your, yeah, exactly. your craft. Yeah. Like, we get it. What you do is a craft and it's amazing all in its own right. We, we've had fans give us, we've had fans give us octopuses and yeah. baby Yodas oh, wow. and all these oh, wonderful yeah. creations that they've made themselves. Yeah, and we um, when we started showing the game out to a wider audience, I'll never forget this. We we had just finished the Kickstarter and we went to um, Pax Unplugged, and we had this big banner and this big basket of yarn, and people kept walking by and going, "Is that is that a game about knitting?" And they would come by and they sit down and play, and then some people would pull out their projects and, and work on them while playing. They felt comfortable, like they felt in their world, and wow, it was on the very. Spot. Yeah, it was a very special moment when like someone would come up to me after the game after we played. They'd be like, "Hey, you made a game for us. This is really great. You know, we're really happy about that." And it happened multiple times, which was you know felt really good. Yeah, and winning at Pax Unplugged, I remember how busy your booth was at all times. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) it was. It was pretty crazy. Yeah. Yeah, one of my favorite moments was um, you know someone was playtesting our game, and then they they started. They, t- they started taking out their, their whip, so their work in progress uh, is what they call it. And, like, she started uh, crush, uh, knitting in front of us, and she's like, you know, I've always wanted to play games, and and I used to get shamed for bringing out my, my crafting projects, but now this is welcome, and I'm so excited <laughs> that she can yeah. have her project out while playing a game. And I'm like, no, of course, your, your projects are definitely welcome. <laughs> Yeah, and we had this big, big basket of uh, balls of yarn and crochet hooks and needles, 
And eventually we were like, hey, do you, do you want to like work on something? And we, someone came by, pulled some yarn out and cast it off and started making a scarf. So after they left, the next people came by and said, hey, you know, come down, demo the no game way. and uh, add on to the scarf. So we've got this big, long scarf that like people oh, just so cool. added like two or three lines to while they were demoing. So that was yeah. cool. I, I have to give credit to Ronnie. Uh, one of our recurring, uh, you know, booth uh, staff at different conventions. She, uh, we had this big basket of yarn there to promote the game, just to kind of catch your eye and hopefully bring you over if you're interested in fiber arts. And it was her idea to like pull it out while some people were waiting to play test, um, you know, to demo the game, sorry, at Gen Con last year or two years ago. Oh man, it's so sad. Um, I know. The she had the idea to pull you know pull it out and say hey if you want to make something you're welcome to use this stuff and people were like oh yeah this is great and now yeah we've got this we have this kind of community scarf that has been built over a few conventions and we'll keep bringing it whenever conventions come back. Yep, it's gonna be a very very long scarf. <laughs> oh, I hope. Such yeah, an I wanna... incredible. Oh, please, Lauren. Yeah. Oh no, I I want to eventually drape it over our booth and be like, we made this. <laughs> Here across all these conventions, all of you made this. Yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> but it's very special to us. Like it, it's really quite a piece of piece of something, um, you know, to carry on and show. Like, look at all these fans. Like we made all we like, you know, we made this game, this game for these people. So it's like really, really special. <laughs> it's a real piece of work. Eh? Yeah. Huh? Oh, Thanks, oh, sure. Thanks, but yeah, that is. It, Hearing all of this is just such incredible, you know, validation and such an incredible journey. If you could, if you can think back again, yeah, like how long it's been from that first inspiration moment, Adam, that you mentioned about, uh, you know, sticking in your brain, uh, the whole sewing slash knitting, crocheting, crafting concept to the launch date of the Kickstarter, the publication, I suppose. Uh, how long thereabouts would you guys kind of uh, range it at? Um, two, two years. Is it two years? I think it's two years. Yeah, it was 20, 2017 when we had the first real substantial conversation about it. Yeah, it was like late 2017. So ValorCon was at the end of 16. So that's when the initial nugget happened. And then, um, you know, that didn't kind of rear its head again until late 2017 and then the game was published, or sorry, the game's being published in 2021. Um, but uh, sure. <laughs> the um, the Kickstarter was 2019, September of 2019. So just about two years, yeah. It, you know, late 2017 to September 2019, two years. Um, it, it, I will say this, it was two years. In between, there was a, we had a little bit of a detour because okay. we started working on our travels and we actually got it to a point where we felt really good about doing it, uh, making the game and having a Kickstarter. And then we got the, this, this amazing opportunity to work with a, uh, another game publisher based in, um, in Dallas, Texas and work on the Borderlands franchise. So I don't know if you're familiar you are oh, with the Borderlands. Yeah, okay. Didn't you take the robot game and kind of like spin it with the new Yeah, we, we got this amazing opportunity to work with um, Nirvana Games um, down in Dallas. And 
they had a, a relationship and an opportunity to work on the uh, the Borderlands IP with Gearbox. So um, we talked to them about kind of designing a game and um, it was actually, uh, it was Randy Pitchford who uh, run, you know, is leads Gearbox software, who was like, you know what, I, I want them to make their robot game with my robots. And that's, you know, that was kind of the initial genesis of like, cool, we're going to, we're going to work, we're going to take Robot Lab, we're going to do some redesigns to it and some changes to it to make it fit better with, um, with the Borderlands universe. But we're going to, you're going to take a detour from this project we started, this, you know, this crafting game projects we started. We'll take a detour from that for a little bit to go make this other game and then, uh, and then circle back to it. So, you know, it was two years, but in between that, you know, we had pretty much everyone in the company laser focused on, Hey, we're making a, a Borderlands game. And we, and that, that experience was a, you know, a whirlwind of about six to nine months. I think it was October when we, uh, finally signed the deal, and then very quickly afterwards, they were like, "Okay, can you have it in our hands and ready for people to buy by the time um, of PAX East in March?" Yep. So we yeah. we had to go through <laughs> a pretty crazy process of redes of retooling a design that we already had, um, but retooling it improving upon the original design because there were definitely things that we wanted to change in the original robot lab if we were going to get to do it all over again and also adapting that to another you know another company's identity and personality and um and their you know their franchise it's so amazing especially for a smaller company to get a chance to work on an ip like that 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 way to go thank you yeah it was it, it was uh you know feel we feel Honored to have done it. Uh, you know, there's now uh, there's a Bunkers and Badass uh, real RPG that is um, pre. I think they're pre-ordering it now, and it's supposed to ship sometime this year. Um, and that is amazing. What we do feel really honored to have worked on and published kind of the first tabletop uh, game in the Borderlands world. That's so awesome. And Lauren, you spoke a little bit about one of your favorite moments in this whole journey for our travels, but um, I guess for all of you, favorite, least favorite moment, if you could just pick one of each, what would they be? Oh, that's going to be, okay. That's going to be tough. Um, I'd say my, my favorite part of designing our travels was definitely um, the character developments for all of the awesome characters on the game um, and the market research that went along with it. So getting to like collaborate with these fiber artists and to really make it like a fiber artist game as well as a gamers game. So that's definitely my favorite part. I learned so much from just like the community in general and yeah, um, it's just like really exciting just to collaborate with, um, you know, not ne necessarily gamers, but like, you know, fiber artists who are really like, you know, looking forward to a game that's like about them, you know. Um, so that was definitely my favorite part. I think my least favorite part about designing our travels, I would say, was the 
the kind of last minute changes that came about in this game <laughs> right before the Kickstarter. And I'm, I'm saying it because, you know, for the longest time, I was like, I really just want a good looking yarn spinner. Can we just have a good looking yarn spinner? And they're like, no, Lauren, it's pretty much that. And then they eventually are like, okay, we're doing this. I'm like, we should have been doing this forever ago. <laughs> and, like, and it was, it came by so late. Um, you know, some of the changes, but you know what? I'm so glad we, we did that, you know, like, even though it was better late than never. Right. Um, but yeah, it, I, I'm so glad like that it, that we went through with our gut and, and made those changes, even though it was like, felt like kind of like, you know, 11th hour sort of thing, because it like the way that the game plays now and the experience of moving around the bits and just like managing yarn, like it, it, it ties back to that person who first inspired us. who says like, I have all this yarn and I don't know what to do about it. Like that's literally kind of the experience you get with these little bits in your bowl. And it's, it's, yeah, I think by getting bits and not just sticking to cards was the right move and it, it plays well with experience. And I'm just, I'm glad we did it, but it was, a bit painful at first. Love it. <laughs> My head is just going, Adam, 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 like this entire time. You're saying the bad thing. I'm just thinking, we know whose fault this was. Yeah, yeah. This, it was, was the best. Fun. It was the best, um, you know, last minute thing to do. I, I mean, I wouldn't want our travels without the way it is now, like without right. there being bit. You know, it, it really makes the the experience memorable and special so yeah thank you adam <laughs> hey no problem for everything <laughs> yeah and so adam what was your favorite and least favorite moment um all right so my least favorite moment of working on our travels jordan yes ah yeah that special seems to projects check out. man that special was mine projects dude it, that Jordan and I spent a lot of time and a lot of effort coming up with things that could be, could feel like they were good special projects because, you know, uh, in the game you can make a, you can make um hat, bear, mittens, scarf, and a sweater. And those are the, the, the regular patterns that you make. You turn those in, you combine them to, uh, to, to create projects. So a project might be, uh, for instance, a project that I designed uh, for my daughter is a blanket and a bear, and it's called nap time. So the the idea of a special request or special project is something where it, it's got to feel different than all the things that are in the game. It's got to evoke a different emotion from what you call it than the regular projects do, because it's special. And you, in the case of the way that we did the special, the, the special requests, we wanted to resonate with anyone who plays the game, board gamer or, you know, or not board gamer. So figuring out what kind of pop culture items we could do that make sense to be knitted or crocheted, um, picking things that are going to work from a, a functional standpoint in the game from the fact that like color variance is one of the main things that we built the game off of mechanically figuring out how much those things should be worth um we spent a lot of time trying to come up with new strange combinations that's that and and things in pop culture that could inspire us to have a special request 
with, you know, some limitations on ourselves of like, it has to be something that it would make sense would be knitted or crocheted for a reason, right? It can't just be, we turn every famous piece of clothing into a crocheted version of the clothing. Um, it, they, they've got to feel like they're, you know, they're, they're hitting a sweet spot and we spent a lot of time working on that. That would be my least favorite. Like it worked out really well and we learned a lot, but man, those hours were a lot of hours. <laughs> Double digit number of multi-hour phone calls yes, yes. <laughs> trying to figure that out i don't know how many times i googled famous knitted objects hoping to get a different result right <laughs> yeah and i never did maybe i'll see something i missed last time nope <laughs> nope never favorite moment was at pax unplugged i was at the kickstarter booth and i was demoing arch ravels to um to a group and the whole time i was demoing there was this person standing behind me that seemed really interested, but didn't want to get too involved. And um, once the demo ended, that person sat down and she started asking me questions about the game and like, didn't really say anything. They just started asking very direct, very pointed questions about the, um, the theme and why we made certain choices. And I, I, I answered those questions. And at some point I was like, do you, would, do you want to demo? Do you want to play it? And she's like, Oh, I mean, is that okay? And I'm like, yeah, I mean, that's why I'm sitting here. And she's like, well, there's nobody else. I'm like, that's okay. You and I can play. I mean, I've played this game a couple of times. It's fun. Um, and, uh, we started playing it and she pulled out, um, she pulled out her, her work in progress. You know, it's very, it's very similar to the story Lauren told earlier, but pulled out her work in progress and put it on the table and started to, you know, to knit a scarf and I was like, that is awesome. Um, she's like, do you know how to knit? I'm like, no, I, I don't. I actually have no clue. I designed this game and I have no idea how to actually knit. Uh, and she's like, oh, here, here, I'll show you. And she showed me how to, to knit like a few rows of the game. And at the end of it, she was like, all right, show me the game, showed her the game. And then she went like, she's like, no, you know, for someone who doesn't know anything with uh, about how to actually do it, like you did a really good job. This is really great. I like this. This feels like it was made for me. And when she said, I feel like this was made for me, it just like that, that was the perfect validation, right? That, that's, that's the thing I was going for the entire time. If I could get that feeling out of somebody who loves board games and loves crafting, then mm, I succeeded. That's, that's what we tried to do. Oh, that's so nice. The second best moment was when Tom Vassell gave this the Dice Tower Seal of Approval. That was a big moment. That is a good moment. That was a big moment. I was like, yes, he gets it. He knows. He sees what we're doing. Look at it. Yeah, I loved what he said, too. Like, he said, like, I expect more people playing games. I'm like, yes. Yeah. That's That's our goal to invent new gamers. Exactly. (laughs) This is literally our motto. My marketing is done. I can quit. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I work here on guys. Bye, guys. (laughs) Apparently, we are perfectly branded. No more need to do anything else. Yeah. Hooray. (laughs) Woo. All right. What about you, Jordan? Favorite and least favorite? Okay. So, for favorite, it's very similar to the stories that you just heard. Um, I was demoing a game, and in the group was a young lady, and I had finished the demo and she went on uh, about her business and I bumped into her later near the Kickstarter booth. And she told me a very similar thing. Like, I'm so glad to have seen a game about crafting. You made a game for me. And then she hugged me. And Aww, it, you got a hug. Yeah, I did. And uh, it felt good. And uh, later on, uh, you know, we had gotten back together at the Airbnb where we were staying 
And each one of us who had demoed the game had the same story to tell. So this happened individually to each one of us. And that's when I knew that, all right, this was special. Beautiful. Uh, least favorite moment. So we talked about special requests, projects. The game started with Uh-oh. maybe eight or 10 projects. Oh, no. Right? And we had gone through, and it was an arduous process. You know, we knew, like, here are some cool names for these projects. Great. Okay, Jordan, what should the recipes be? Like, what what items do you need to fulfill these projects? I say, okay, fine. Let me let me work this out. Because there's a, you know, reasonable thematic way to get it, to figure it out. You know, there was one that was, you know, here's all the winter gear you're going to need. So, oh, that's a hat, scarf, and mitten. Great. <laughs> It was not easy for some of the names we came up with, and I spent we spent tons of time figuring out what the items should be. Got through it, we're done. It's great. And then Adam and I were talking, and we're like, you know, it, it doesn't feel great that there's only ten of these and that we double them. We there should be they should be unique. We need there should be more. Okay, we'll we'll pull out more and we'll 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 do it again. And I think that happened maybe two or three more times yeah we, were, remember, right, we need to add more we need to add more yeah then there was then there were times when we went okay well we added more but you know kind of don't like them they feel too similar you remember when yeah. we, we went through the list and we're like oh that project's really close to that project so we yeah. need to cut one of them um to give you guys an example here like like the you know you've we have a hat and a scarf together and that's called lumberjack yeah, it took a while to come up with the name Lumberjack for it to be like to, for it to feel okay for what we're talking about. Yeah, or um, there's one that's uh, you know hat and gloves recess. I think that one was actually early in the process and it just fell together. Yeah. But some of sure. these naming things, you know, y'all are game designers as well. Like naming things and having the right name for the mechanic or the card name or the flavor text it's hard. it's a hard process yeah and and it's that's one of my special talents like i'm pretty decent at naming things but when it came to these projects i was i reached the limit of my ability to name things where it got to the point of i think i can't remember which one it was but there was a couple of projects where i was like yeah i have no idea what this should be named yeah. And and keep in mind, part of the reason for that is because we were trying to hit a very specific tone with this too, right? Like th- there's plenty of things that we could have called it, but would they have been on theme and on kind of the experience we're going for? Uh, maybe not. Yeah. Well, there are so many folks who um, are listening and are aspiring designers. And we're wondering if you could offer one piece of advice to designers, what would it be? Yeah. So whenever I answer this question, it's always one of the big blockers for me early in the process was if I have an idea for a game, getting it off the ground, thinking I need all kinds of supplies or tools or software or whatever. um, The biggest piece of advice is if you have an idea, write it down, get it, get it on components and play it. I think it was Inoka was the one of the the very first prototype of that game was index cards with pen written on it. Like that's all you need. Yeah. So just get it on, get it on cardboard and play it. I completely agree. Just do it. Yeah. Just make the thing. Um, so here is, uh, so my thought on one thing I would tell someone who is just starting to get into game design or aspires to design games. Can I say two? Um, the first one, I'll, the zero one I'll say is, have you designed a game? Cause if you have, you're a game designer. Congratulations. You are it now. You did it. 
That's all it takes to be a game designer is you have to design a game. Now, whether that game's good or is going to sell or is going to work or is going to make people happy, that's all different a different question. But the one thing I will say is that whatever creative exercise you're doing, it wants to be something. You want it to be something, but it, it also wants to be something. It's okay to let it be what it wants to be. That doesn't mean that it's it's just because it didn't turn out the vision that you had originally does not mean that you did bad or you did it wrong. You know, there's plenty of designs I've followed on a path of what it wanted to do and then gone, eh, this isn't really fun. Or this isn't, you know, this isn't what I wanted to make, but it's, but other people like it. That's cool. Maybe it's not what you want to make and th- and that can be okay, but let it be what it wants to be and then decide what you're going to do with it. You know, if it turns out something you don't really like, well, then maybe you don't make that one. But if you try to force a game to do what you want it to do, I have found that it is that is much, much more difficult and could be very rewarding because of the way that you're doing it. But in general, I find that if you just follow kind of follow where it wants to go, follow what where it where it wants to be, what kind of game it wants to be, you'll end up with a. Uh, with a product that's kind of, or you end up with an experience that's kind of more true to um, to the goals. I love that. Feels like Pocahontas. Just follow the wind. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes, sometimes you do gotta follow the wind. Sometimes you gotta follow the wind, and you can have a really great idea, and then you try and put it in there, and the game's like, Ugh, no, it doesn't work. Those times when it just it just doesn't like that idea just doesn't seem to be fitting well with the other pieces that are there. There's a reason. It's trying to tell you it doesn't want it. <laughs> Yeah. The thing you said earlier, Adam, uh, if you've ever designed a game, you're a game designer. And I think it's very easy for new game designers to get into this kind of imposter feeling where you don't really feel like a game designer or you feel like, you know, I made this thing, but it isn't good or it's not working. But if you're playtesting it and the players are having fun, the game is working. Absolutely. And one thing I like to highlight too you said adam like when you said like let it be what it wants to be like same thing goes for like you know the creative process of that like the theming of that like okay like lean into it like does it really if it really wants to be knitting then like okay like let's let's learn more about the fiber art community or like let's lean into this world and and really embrace it you know um and then sometimes that world like you know like the unique, uh, I guess, crafting things that you could do with yarn, like dyeing yarn, spinning yarn, whatever, buying yarn, like maybe that's going to influence other parts of your designs in another way. Like if you, if you research it or dive into it. So definitely, um, embrace it, embrace the world that you're, you're designing for. Um, because it, it'll, it'll become more real. Like, I don't know. There's a, I've, there, there's a reason niches exist right niches in in interest they exist because there's something about that that group or that culture or that you know that interest set that is deep and there is a lot there so don't be afraid to explore what those niches are right like don't be afraid to look at something that you know generally to the overall populace doesn't look to be very popular that doesn't matter because you know not everything is there are gonna there's all sorts of intricacies and interesting edges and neat things you can learn when you just look into these other niches a little bit and that is you know one of the next games we have coming up is called cultivate and it's about 
uh, raising, um, it's about uh, making a little garden of uh, succulents and cactuses and, and, uh, and houseplants. And the time that we spent kind of exploring that interest and the kind of the world around it has been uh, fantastic and, and it shaped kind of what that game ended up being. So I would say, you know, that's, I guess, another thing to say there is like, don't be afraid to look into a niche and to explore something that isn't popular because you might find a whole world of interesting things and choices. 100% agree. I really agree. And I, I want to like put a little like star because I think next to that, because not only did you all explore this new world, but you really, um, you did the work to understand it and talk to people and, uh, really be care, uh, intentional around, um, representing it with care and respect and with love, uh, that I think, in going into these different spaces, I think that that's something that is really uh, special and should be the norm um, in in design. And I I think I hearing about the ways that you made such um, intentional steps to talk with folks in the community and really um, represent them well and those those voices. I think and the experience of being in the uh, the world of knitting and crafting yeah. um, is just really cool. And so, uh, yeah, I just wanted to start that and say, yes, yay. I'm so Thank glad you. to see that and hope to see more of it. Thank you. It, means, it honestly means a lot to us. Yeah, it does. And I hope more people do that because, like, I would love – I want more interesting games out there. Like, I really <laughs> do. Yes. Yeah. Like, you know, um, and I'm, I'm glad that – um, you recognize our intention. Like we care a lot about our games. Like we care so much. <laughs> and, and I, this is one of the ones that we're like, yeah, this is, this, our travels is special for us. So thank you. Yeah. And all yeah. those really hard days, you just cuddle your little snuggy brontosaurus. It was the one thing um, just before the Kickstarter, we pulled this from consideration and, we didn't do it, but um, so this is a little, little inside bit on something that happens before you launch Kickstarter is uh, sometimes you have an idea for a stretch goal and you go through all the motions to make it a reality and then find out oh, it's just, we're not going to be able to do it. Or it's just it, we can't spend time and effort there because it'll take away time and effort from these things that we also have to do. And the one that my daughter, my eldest daughter, is the most upset about is that we, we had do- gone through the the process to quote and prep for making a uh, plush unicorn like the unicorn that is in the game. And it's, I get asked. Um, and then later when we cut it, um, she was sad about that. And then I explained, well, you know, if we do make a plush one day, it's going to be something like Snuggy because Snugglesaurus is adorable and wonderful and it makes everyone who sees it happy. And, um, and the fact that we still have not made, I, the fact that I have not made my daughter a plush brontosaurus <laughs> wearing a rainbow sweater makes her very upset on a regular basis. <laughs> well, I look forward to when that appears on Kickstarter in the future, <laughs> when you decide to go into plushables and toys. <laughs> well, you know, there is an expansion um, designed for our travels. So depending on how well our travels does, um, you know, there is there is the possibility in the future that we we will either release directly or go to Kickstarter with a expansion for the game. And, you know, if we're going to do that, then I want another shot at making that, uh, that plush. 
Heck yeah, the uh, highest background level should be, you know, one custom made by you, Adam, is what I'm hearing. Oh no, please don't yes. do that. To me. <laughs> um, um, yeah. The other thing, the yeah. other thing I want to make sure, like, and if we go to an expansion, you know, one thing we're going to also make sure happens is uh, those realistic yarn balls. The uh, the one thing that I will say that I, I wish we could have done through through our travels that we weren't able to do is. Um, originally, our deluxe tier backing had these 60 realistic yarn ball resources. And we, um, we honestly, 2020 and and all of the, the extended length of time that things were taking um, just made it impossible for us to deliver those, um, those resin yarn balls, you know, at a quality that we would have been okay with or what we, we would have found acceptable um in the timeline that we needed to you know we, we delaying this game any further for people because of that one component being missing just was not acceptable to us so we had to make the tough call of uh of not making those deluxe yarn balls and uh and of course refunding everyone who ordered them because that is what you should do when you don't deliver something yes that is yes <laughs> don't keep the money <laughs> just don't yeah good call yeah yeah, you know, like we, you know, we paid for a mold to have the have the mold made and the art for the render of it, right? Those things um, are are not hugely expensive in the scheme of all in the grand scheme of all this. Uh, there was just, you know, it, we we couldn't make the the deluxe yarn balls. Maybe one day we will make them, um, and we can, and then we can. You know, everyone who wants those can have those. Um, but you know, in the meantime, you know that. People, people paid us for them. We're not making them. We didn't use the money for anything else. You should have it back. <laughs> so good. That just shows, yeah, like what XYZ stands for. And again, yeah. how well not only are you treating uh, the different communities that you're making games about, but also your backers who you respect and love so much. So if, if we may, just the final question here, uh, what else we can kind of expect from you guys? Uh, Adam, you dropped a little bit of cultivate action coming up uh, in the future, or in the future, excuse me. But uh, what else can we all, yeah, look forward to Jordan or Lauren, um, everyone really on, on the floor? In a month, we'll be going live on Kickstarter for our yeah. new Quarks uh, season one. So um, we mentioned Cultivate. Um, yeah, I'll talk about Zero Z if, if, if Jordan, you want to talk about a game and Adam can talk about a game. Um, so Zero Z is a game that was um, designed by Joe Slack. It is a uh, a pocket size uh, bluffing game where you're trying to sneak your animals in um, into the Zero's Eve party. Um, pretty fun. Um, and that's the very first game in the Quarks line that that um, that we launched and that was released in packs and plugged. And so that'll be part of, you know, this upcoming Kickstarter um, that's that uh, will be going live soon in a month. So I'm so excited for it. Yeah, and a little background. Uh, Quark's game, <clears throat> it's a line of games that are supposed to be small footprint, can carry in your pocket, doesn't take a long time to play, and you can teach just about anybody to play. So it's a line of games you can just kind of take with you, you know, if you're going out to eat and you want to play, play while you're waiting or, you know, you have a small area to play. Um, you can play them on an airplane tray, that kind of thing. 
Um, so it's New Year's Eve, and then we had we already talked a little bit about Cultivate, and then there's another game called Bait and Switch, where you are. Uh, it's a bit of a social deduction, uh, hidden role type game where you are putting together a crew to do a heist, and you kind of have to decide, okay, which which t- crew am I going to go with, and you know, am I going to betray everybody at the last second and take the loot for myself, or am I going to be kind and split it with everybody? Yeah, and Bait and Switch. Um... Bait and Switch was designed by Robert Fisk, um, yep. who's a, 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 a. Oh, I love him. He's yeah. in one of my groups. Great, <laughs> yeah. You know, uh, the original the original game was called Disorganized Crime. So if you ever played Robert Fisk's Disorganized Crime, uh, that and Bait and Switch, they are the same game, yep. um, just with some theming and artwork and other things that publishers do to make things fancy. Um, and then the um, so those are. That's uh, Zoo Year's Eve is Quarks number one. Uh, Cultivate is Quarks number two. And Bait and Switch is Quarks number three. And we will bring all those to Kickstarter uh, in the Quarks season one bundle in uh, in April of uh, 2021. Um, we've also got, you know, one of the things that we've, we're doing with the Quark series is we've designed this, uh, this plastic case that is what every Quarks game, uh, you know, Quarks 2 and on, because Quarks 1, we hadn't designed it yet. Um, we designed this plastic case that is a small pocket case, a small case that fits in your pocket. Um, it's a you know, decently thick plastic with a, a, a nice clasp top on it. And the entire game, um, the one of the requirements of a Quarks is that it has to fit inside this box. This box is made to be something that you can throw in your pocket, you can throw in your bag. Um, you know, it shouldn't pop open, and it makes sure that your your game stays protected. And the best part is that the um, you know the the way that we're doing the the um, the box, the box itself, you can you know if you break it, crack it, whatever, you can just get another one. The um, the actual game art and the wrapper and the label and all that stuff is actually an insert inside the box. So that way, if your box gets messed up, your box doesn't actually get messed up, which from our learnings with uh, our Anoka alpha edition, you know, we wanted boxes that weren't just tuck boxes that would fall apart. We wanted something that goes in someone's pocket or in their bag or in their backpack or in their luggage. And it can actually survive being in those places. Um, so the Quarks line is going to come in in those cases, and um, we've also uh, we're also designing or have designed now a a bag, a, a kind of a um, pocket board game travel bag. You know, it's a, a little bit bigger than um, the you know it, it'll it'll fit. What did we? What is it, Jordan? If it's uh, two and a half commander decks, if you're yep. a magic player, yes, yeah, something <laughs> like that. Yeah. <laughs> Um, it's in, you know, it's a, it's a hard side, uh, hard side, be- hard side case with a zipper top and uh, shoulder strap, you know, and it's we're, the, the Quark season one Kickstarter will, will also include that case. So, uh, looks to be a, I mean, we're trying to put together a really good deal for people to get some, some great games that fit in your pocket, but also get something that is functionally helpful for I think I, what I believe is a lot of people's growing collection of pocket games. I know. I definitely have three in my purse. Yeah. <laughs> yeah nice. We, I noticed that like some of the sidewalls in my messenger bag were just stacked up with pocket games. 
Yeah. Because there are so many good ones that I wanted to bring with me, whether you're talking about the the Mint series or you're talking about, um, you know, Bud and Shy's game, you know, huge catalog of games. There's just a lot of really good pocket games out there. So, Well, really excited to see those launch in April. I want to thank you uh, for joining us, Adam, Jordan, and Lauren. It's been such a pleasure. And thank all of you listeners as well. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Game Design Unboxed, Inspiration to Publication, Episode 10, Our Travels. And Adam, Jordan, and Lauren, for anyone who's looking to find you, where can you be reached? Uh, You can find me on Twitter, at McAdams. and then, of course, at xyzgamelabs.com. Yep, and I'm on Facebook under my name. <laughs> and I'm on. Um, I'm also on Facebook. I'm also. I also manage all the XYZ social. So, if you want to reach out to me there, um, yeah, I'll be happy to chat with you all. Wonderful. Well, this is your host Denise. You can find me on Twitter at year twenty three. And then uh, there's Danielle, me, one of your other hosts. And you can find me on Facebook at DMR Creative Group, Twitter at Creative DMR, and then Instagram as Token Gamer. And that's G A Y M E R. And then we have Ben. I'm on Facebook as Ben Moy, and your friend Ben Moy designs board games. Not quite as prolific as uh, these three here yet, but hopefully one day. You're going to be the easiest to find at least. And we know you're friendly, so that's good. This has been another episode of Game Design Unboxed, inspiration to publication. If you'd like to hear more great gaming podcasts, check out nodirectionpodcast.com. Join us next time.